Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Velati, and I'm not going to lie, I have a little hint of morning voice going right now. These are actually the first words that I'm speaking to anyone, so if <laughs> you guys consider yourselves lucky, you're getting my morning voice, super romantic, um, but regardless, we are here today with a new podcast episode. This one, I can tell you, is about to be a good one because I have a lot of fun things to cover. I have a great story from history to share, and I also just want to kind of recap my birthday because a couple days ago I turned a new age and now I am a quarter of a century years old. That sounds old as hell, but it also means that a new chapter has begun and I have a bunch of little kind of goals for myself, ways that I want to kind of rebrand myself in this 25th year. So I want to talk about that as well. And then also I have some thoughts on a new book that I'm reading called The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz. So a lot of good stuff today. Lots of fun things. Kick back, relax, get yourself a nice piping hot cup of tea, and let's get into it. So the night of my birthday, we had just gotten home from an Italian dinner, and this was honestly my only request for my birthday. All I wanted to do was like relax and then eat a nice hearty Italian meal because I'm super Italian, as you guys know. That's like in my roots and my heritage, and I always just like crave Italian food. That is just like my number one craving. So I asked my friends, I'm like, can we please get Italian food? That's my only request. So we went to this place called Wovo in Santa Monica, a really cute, quaint little Italian place. They're, I think, owned by the same people that own Sugarfish. Um, if you guys know sushi stuff, I am not a sushi eater, but they own Sugarfish. So it's really cute. They have amazing outdoor seating. Like there's like vines and like flowers, presumably fake, but still it's like a really nice setup. So we were sitting out there eating dinner, had a couple of bottles of wine. I get home from that dinner and I instantly go to my journal because that's just who I am. I always am like after a nice night or after a bad night, I dig out my journal and I get to work. And so while I was writing this year's journal entry, I was reminded that I had journaled last year on my birthday. And this journal here that I'm holding in my hands actually right now is actually a year old because I started it. I got it for my birthday last year and I started it on my birthday. So I went back in time in the pages and found my entries from last year. And I was just reading through my entries from last year, thinking to myself, wow, I kind of saw all this coming <laughs> in a way. I saw this year as being a major, major growth year for me, a lot of change, a lot of things happening. And I didn't even know half of it, like what was going to actually happen with the pandemic, with my huge move out here, with me uprooting my entire life from the East Coast and coming out here, like all those details. I didn't know. And yet I've written down so many good little nuggets in here last year. And I thought to myself, oh, you know what? This is great podcast content. So I want to read to you guys a couple little snippets from my entry last year. So on the left side of the page, I'm kind of describing it to you guys visually so you can kind of you know, see it in your mind. On the left side of the page, I have a sticky with uh, just you know a simple phrase on it. Imagine where you could be this time next year. Now put in the work. I was definitely, as you guys know, in New York City, very work-oriented, very productivity aligned and needing everything to be hustle, go, go, go. That was how I was in New York, as we know. Um, so that's not too surprising. So yeah, it says, just imagine, imagine where you could be this time next year. If only New York City 
2019, Katie knew that in a year she would be in California, sitting at her desk in California, podcasting to all of her favorite lovely humans on the internet, um, living a pretty good life out here, a whole different life. And then on the right side of the page, it says, and now it's begun, 24. A woman in harmony with her spirit is like a river flowing. She goes where she will without pretense and arrives at her destination prepared to be herself and only herself. And that's a quote by Maya Angelou. So I have that on that page. And then I said, I'm one of those people who hates when people justify change and goals by saying new year, new me. But truly, I do see 24 as having this freshness to it. I have a really good feeling about the change this new year will bring on in me. Learning to grow like a rose, everything beautiful and worth having comes with pain of some sort. Roses have thorns, don't they? And then I continue, um, I'm tired of running away to, from, into, all of the above. I want to sit with myself and just breathe, think, listen to myself and the ways my heart swells. Is this a crime? To kill the hustle and cold blood? Many of us have been running our whole lives. We have that feeling where we feel we must, well, that's kind of a <laughs> redundant saying. Um, we have that feeling we must run into the future, away from the past, out from wherever we are. In truth, we don't need to go anywhere. That part is actually pretty comical because I definitely did go somewhere. I crossed the country. Here I am. You know, one road trip later. So I definitely did go somewhere. But I think the premise of what I was trying to say was, you know, look within and look at myself, you know, and sit with myself and not feel like I need to run from my past and my problems. And you know what? What I did in my 24th year was definitely run from my problems for a lot of it, honestly. So I don't know how uh, much truth the, the you know these pages hold in the sense of like what I manifested for myself because I don't think I really did much of that. Um, I'm doing it now, so maybe, you know, better late than never. But yeah, so I do have some things I wrote down for this upcoming year. So just some kind of rebranding concepts because I think that, you know, you can definitely rebrand a brand of sorts, like, you know, a corporate brand, but you can also rebrand yourself all the time as a person. You know, I distinctly remember when I worked at L'Oreal, um, we had this like cafe kind of like food court situation on our top floor and I remember just you know standing in the same line that I stood in every single day before that you know getting my wrap my like I distinctly remember it was like a, a kale Caesar wrap like with certain things inside and I literally got the same thing like every single day and they had this little area where you could get the you know the chips to complement your meal kind of the accessories for your meal. And I always picked the same chips. You know, I was just super like stuck in my ways, very uh, routine. And I saw this bag of, of smart food. So the popcorn brand. And I did one of those double takes because I was standing there in line looking at this popcorn bag. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I swear it never used to look like that. Like maybe I've just like, as I've grown up, I've forgotten. Or it's like the Mandela effect where like, I mean, I could do a whole episode on that which is so fascinating but I swear I was like wait a second I feel like it never used to look like this and lo and behold I googled and smart food had done a full rebrand like they have fully like their whole look and feel is different their target audience is different like everything about them they just did a little like quick switcheroo and they're like all brand new now and different but the same kind of characteristics like the same colors 
exist, but it just looks different. So it's not completely getting rid of, you know, who they were, who they used to be. It's just kind of evolving themselves into something new and improved and better. And I feel like that's kind of what I want to do with myself in the coming year. I don't want to get rid of who I was. I don't want to forget who I was. I want to take the existing colors and characteristics of me and mold it into something that is just more timely and better for me now. Um, and so, yeah, that is kind of what I wish to do in my 25th year. And I have some little concepts I wrote down in my journal, uh, you know, of how I'm going to get there. So the first one, I need to be there for myself in the way that I want and crave others to be there for me. So it sounds kind of simple Kind of like something that you would, you know, think about as a, as a child and, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated or, you know, treat, et cetera. Like those little like cute sayings that we used to say as kids. But I guess it's kind of the opposite. It's like treat yourself the way that you want others to treat you. So it's kind of similar to that. It's honestly a small but mighty sort of concept because... I think that a lot of times we think we can only get certain levels of affection, certain levels of attention from other people, and we can't give that to ourselves. We can't turn around and say, you know what, I've got my back. And that's pretty messed up, honestly. We don't give ourselves enough credit. And so in this 25th year, I want to give myself more credit. I want to be there for myself in the way that I crave other people to be there for me because next point in my rebrand... Um, when we rely on external validation, we are living in a constant state of need. That is also on my list of things I want to think about, concepts for my rebrand. If I am fully putting all of my heart and soul and energy in getting other people's validation, in getting other people's approval, and gaining their love, and it feels almost like a, it feels kind of like a success when I get attention from someone and it feels like a personal win, which sounds crazy, but that's just kind of how it is. It's, it's the external validation. But when I put all of my eggs in that basket, when I put all of my focus on getting other people's validation, I am putting so much power in people that have full free will on their own. And so they're not always going to be there necessarily. And so I will be left feeling empty. You, you know, you can't have 100% of your happiness invested in something that you can lose. That is a bad investment. And so yourself, you, yourself, and you aren't going anywhere. So you should invest in yourself. You should focus on loving yourself and being there for yourself in the way that you want other people to be there for you because you can't always rely on them. And I'm not saying become a hermit and close off yourself from everybody. I don't want myself to be like that at all. I want to be still a people person, still involved with other people and still, you know, relying on some love from others, maybe not relying, that's the wrong word, but allowing, allowing love from others to come in. I don't want to close myself off completely, but I want to have enough love in my heart already, you know, just from myself. Um, and I want to see myself in a different light because I tend to do that thing where I negatively self-talk. I put myself down for no reason at all. I invent problems that don't exist. And I don't want to do any more of that, honestly. I want to see myself as someone who is lovable, who is worth loving, who is, who is amazing, who is great. And so, 
yeah, I need to eat some more of that food in my fridge, as you guys know from my past analogies. I need to focus on what is going on inside of me. And after talking with my therapist a couple of days ago, you know, we, we got on this subject of, you know, why do I, why do I seek so much external validation? And it all does stem from how I was raised, uh, my childhood traumas of being bullied. I've mentioned this a lot, but it also just stems from, you know, I just have so little faith in myself. I don't trust myself. And how can you love something and someone that you don't trust? So I need to start trusting myself a bit more, trusting that I will get through what I'm going through, trust that I will be there for myself and be, you know, I I can't be one of those two-faced people with myself and turn on myself so easily. I do that. I do that a lot. Like I'm like, I'm having a great day. I'm happy. I feel good about myself. And then I'll have a total 180 moment the next day and have a plummeting low where I'm like, I hate myself. And that isn't trustworthy behavior. You don't want to have a friend in life who loves you one day and then talk shit about you behind your back. And that is exactly what I do to myself. I'm a horrible friend. I'm a shitty friend to myself and in my 25th year I want to get rid of that I want to kick that habit to the curb I want to be there for myself so yeah I want to be there for myself in the way that I want and crave others to be there for me drops mic I can just end the podcast there because that that is the tea that is what's up um yeah be there for yourself in the way you want other people to be there for you and the first step to getting there is you know kind of thinking about how do I want other people to be there for me like what do I champion in my relationships and that is you know loyalty it is honesty it is uh, affection um, intimacy things like that and you know what all of those things you can give yourself so maybe we should focus a little bit more on that and less on relying on other people for what we need because there's that quote and I always say it it's like if you want something done right do it yourself And I fully stand by that, I think, honestly, in my 25th year. Sometimes, I mean, not all the time, because of course you do want to let love in. Don't become one of those cynical people that doesn't let any love in. But be sparing with it. I I think that I I also just want to focus a little bit more on seeing what I got, you know, giving myself a chance. So, yeah, those are some goals. I do want to talk a little bit. Oh, actually, there's a very small little gnat on my microphone. (laughs) Sorry. Um, I want to talk a little bit next about the four agreements. So this is a book that my roommates gave me for my birthday on Tuesday. So I've only had it for a few days now. I've read a decent chunk of it because it's a pretty easy read. It's one of those you can just like whip it out before bed and get some chapters in, or I guess they're not really chapters, but they're there's separation in there. Oh, there are, there are chapters. They're numbered. Okay. So I've knocked out a few chapters and it really is so interesting. It's it's a Toltec uh, wisdom book, and it's written by Don Miguel Ruiz. I think I called him Miguel Ruiz in the beginning of this episode. I apologize, Don, Don Miguel Ruiz, for uh, butchering your name. And it's basically a practical guide to personal freedom, um, which sounds like all self-helpy and something that I would never in a million years pick up for myself. But my friend Hannah was raving about it. She's like, you need to read the four agreements. And I'm like, oh, well, what are the four agreements? And she was like telling me about them. And I'm like, oh, okay. That sounds all nice and happy and great. But I don't know if I can practically follow these things. Um, So anyway, I want to read you guys the actual four agreements, just list them for you guys. So the first one is be impeccable with your word, 
Second, don't take anything personally. Third, don't make assumptions. Fourth, always do your best. So these are the four assumptions, or no, (laughs) these are the four agreements. What am I saying? I need more coffee. These are the four agreements. And basically by saying agreement, they mean, you know, agreements you should have with yourself and kind of just concepts that you should adopt as a person to live a fulfilling, happy life, non-toxic life. And so, like I said, I've only gotten through a few chapters, so I've gotten to the portion on be impeccable with your word, and I thought it was so relevant in regards to all the things I just said as far as like how I want to rebrand myself, rebrand, rebrand myself in my 25th year. So I do want to read. So on page, uh, follow along in your book if you have it with you, (laughs) page 17, um, I kind of highlighted a section and I put it on my Instagram story and a lot of you guys were like, Katie, talk about this in the podcast. So here we are talking about it. On page 17, it says, this is why humans resist life. To be alive is the biggest fear that humans have. Death is not the biggest fear we have. Our biggest fear is taking the risk to be alive, the risk to be alive and express what we really are. Just be ourselves. That's the biggest fear of humans. We have learned to live our lives trying to satisfy other people's demands. We have learned to live by other people's points of view because of the fear of not being accepted and of not being good enough for someone else. And it goes on to elaborate on that. But honestly, amen to that. I have really done a lot of soul searching recently with my therapist and just with myself about why I give so many fucks about what people think about me, why I want to satisfy everyone, why I want everyone to be happy and happy with me and impressed by me. And I just don't want to ruffle any feathers. I want to just be well-liked, put simply. Why is that? Why am I so obsessed with that concept? I mean, of course, there's the tribe mentality that dates back to hunter-gatherer days and you want to be well-liked by other people in the tribe. You want to, you know, be a a, a solid, needed member of the tribe. You don't want to be ousted from the tribe because if you're a weak link, that's what's going to happen to you. Um, And so that, that counts as something evolutionarily inside of all of us. But then also... I, you know, I wanted people to like me in high school. That didn't work out for me. And so I knew going into college what I needed to do, how I needed to rebrand myself then to be well-liked, what I needed to care about, drinking, you know, boys, drugs, etc., and what I needed to do to get there. And it was kind of like a, a recipe for success. And so I've learned to follow the recipe you know, stay thin, uh, do all of these things to look pretty all the time. And, you know, I followed the recipe to a T and it's now that I'm, you know, kind of finding the recipe to be a bit tired, to be a bit outdated, to be a bit unsavory. And aside from identifying that I feel this way, I didn't really, I, I still kind of don't really know what to do with that. Like what to do now? Like, okay, I've decided that I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to move on. So now what? Page 21, I'm going to read to you guys. Uh, Let's get there. I feel like I'm like a guest reader in class and I'm like, gather around everyone. Okay. So there are thousands of agreements you've made with yourself, with other people, with your dream of life, with society, with your parents, your spouse, your children. But the most important agreements are the ones that you make with yourself. In these agreements, you tell yourself who you are, what you feel, what you believe and how to behave. 
The result is what you call your personality. In these agreements, you say, this is what I am. This is what I believe. I can do certain things and some things I can't do. This is reality. This is fantasy. This is possible. That is impossible. I definitely have made some agreements with myself in life. Like I have made some. And I definitely have been one of those people where I will make an agreement with myself and then blatantly ignore myself and be like, huh, I can't hear you. I don't care about that. Like I want to do this because I am drinking and I want to sleep with this person or I want to do this and I don't care about the consequences. And it's like, I, yeah, (laughs) it's like I have an angel and devil on my shoulder when I make these agreements and the angel in me is like, I'm going to abide by these and be good and act out of what I actually believe in. And then the devil is like, no, I am a sinful person and I want to do all these crazy, stupid things and I don't care about how I'll feel about it tomorrow. And so I'm constantly at war with myself. So I was scrolling on Instagram earlier this week and I think it was on Lauren Elizabeth good friend of mine her Instagram page for her podcast she posts a lot of like artistically done like quotes and kind of good mindsets you know calming mindsets things like that and so on there it was this this post about energy drainers versus energy givers and so there was the usual you know energy givers like drinking a lot of water eating your greens moving your body like all those things and then there was the energy drainers like not getting enough sleep you know the the usual ones that you're used to seeing and on that list was sloppy boundaries and I, upon reading that, was like, wow, I think I have extremely sloppy boundaries and that is what is causing me so much stress. Not that you should have a life that is perfectly, you know, to a T organized in a a way where you don't have any freedom and you don't have any kind of gray area where you have the power to choose and not always know how things are going to unfold. And, you know, there is some mystery, there is some excitement, but boundaries you know, is something that all of us should have an idea of in our minds. What is too far for us in an intimate relationship? What is something that we know when we cross this line will make us sad, will make us feel bad about ourselves? You know, what are those boundaries? You know, how far do you want to go in certain relationships with friends, with a significant other, with yourself? Uh, what are some you know things that you feel comfortable with and what are th- some things that you don't feel comfortable with? What are those boundaries? And you know what? I have sloppy as hell boundaries. I don't have any boundaries, really. I need to set some better ones within myself. You know, what is something that I recall doing and thinking, I hate this. I don't want to do that ever again. You know, I don't feel comfortable with this. Where does that, where is that territory? Where do I need to have that boundary lie? And so, you know, I think that what I do a lot of times is I I give up my power for other people's benefit. And I I do that because I don't have any boundaries for myself. So I I just am like, ah, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, let it rest in their court. I'll let them decide what their boundaries are. And I'm just going to go with the flow. And, you know, only dead fish go with the flow, as they say. I love that quote. Um, I was definitely someone for a while that championed the go with the flow mentality because I thought it made me a, an easygoing, uh, good person. 
but really it made me a person that has no boundaries and that doesn't know what they stand for and could be easily blown over with even an, a, a drop of wind because I had no no ground to stand on, which isn't a sexy thing. It isn't. It is not. Guys, taking a quick little break in our episode to introduce a sponsor and this sponsor, honestly, when they came to me, I was so excited because I have used this brand for so long. So who am I talking about? I am talking about Billy. Billy has the creme de la creme of razors. They have other things as well, but their razors especially are just the light of my life. They give you such a great clean shave and they're delivered right to your door. No pink tax, no breaking the bank, no visits to the drugstore involved. So easy to get a nice clean shave. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I actually shave my arms. It was a personal choice I made sophomore year of college. And because, you know, your arms, they, you know, you brush against people a lot when you're hugging someone or just, you know, you know, just being around people, I am always super self-conscious of my arms being soft because I shave them and sometimes they can get stubbly and all those things. But with Billy razors, I get the most clean, precise, soft shave. The razors are designed in a great way also where I don't feel like I'm going to nick myself as easily, you know, around my wrists and my elbows, those kind of like jagged areas. I get a nice clean shave and I can't say that about a lot of other razors, honestly. You should definitely check it out for yourself and see what the hype is about um, and also just show a little love for thick and thin over here for me your girl katie go to mybilly.com slash thick thin so that's m as in mango y b as in boy i l l i e dot com slash thick thin and it's just a little small way you can support us over here at thick and thin while also getting the best freaking razor of your life it's just nine dollars to get your starter kit plus free shipping always go to mybilly.com slash thick thin to get started and let me know what you guys think so you know being easygoing isn't always a good thing it isn't often a good thing honestly it's showing that you you don't know yourself very well And so I'm trying to get to know myself a little bit better. And the first part of the book that I was talking about really does deal with this. So, you know, the first agreement that you should have with yourself is being impeccable with your word. And impeccable meaning you're not going against yourself. You're not going against what you believe. Um, Impeccable, the word, comes from a Latin root of or something like that uh, along the lines of without sin so you know being true to yourself and not going against yourself that is what impeccable means so by saying you know we're being impeccable with our word it means that you know in all forms of communication not just spoken word but how we are how we act how we present ourselves the decisions we make the way that we treat other people you know that is it is your creative power that you have. You have power to act in a way that makes sense for you, that feels good. And, you know, with that, with that power, you can either use it for good, you can create, or you can destroy. That is what the book says. You can either, you know, act in a way that is, that feels good to you and makes other people feel good. But for the most part, you feel good in doing what you're doing and how you're acting and what you're saying, or you can destroy, you can gossip, you can be a toxic presence, you can be negative, you can, you know, do all of those not so great things. And in our lives, in this book, it says, we have learned to lie. We have learned to do it so easily, you know, as easily as we breathe, we lie. And it's a habit in our conversation. It is easy and it's normal for us to say things to 
exaggerate to say things that we know is not true about ourselves about other people and that is something that doesn't it's not going to taste too great coming out honestly because you know we we've learned to create chaos with our word that is what the book says we learn to gossip by agreement from childhood from our parents doing it from and gossiping this is like a whole another chapter in the book of things I want to do in my 25th year I want to stop gossiping and it's not even just gossiping about other people you know gossip is just like untrue things you know kind of dramatized or maybe not untrue but just talking shit you know talking shit and honestly I talk a lot of shit about myself and so I want to do a lot less of that um in my next year and that means being impeccable with my word, knowing that with everything that comes out of my mouth, with everything that I, I communicate with how I am and how I act as well, not even just what I say, but how I am, I do have a choice here. I have a choice of how I want to communicate, how I want my word to taste and to come out. And honestly, I think that a lot of us justify shit talking either when we do it with our friends casually about people that we either know or barely know people on social media, et cetera. And with ourselves, we justify it as being like, oh, you know, I'm still a good person. I'm still a good person, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they deserve it. You know, it's it's unavoidable. It's a part of life. And I just don't, I don't think that that needs to be true necessarily. Being impeccable with your word doesn't mean being like perfect with your word and being always positive with your word, but it is being in a certain way with your word where it makes sense for you and you are speaking from your heart and from what you truly, truly believe, not what you maybe believe in a moment of fury because we get in those moments where we're super worked up and, you know, feeling some type of way, but just kind of taking a deep breath and thinking like, okay, you know, what do I actually feel? You know, where are my boundaries? All of those things. So yeah, that is definitely something I'm adopting in this upcoming year. And this book, Four Agreements, is really making me think, really making me think. So definitely get your hands on it um, if you haven't read it already. A lot of you guys expressed to me on Instagram that you have read it. So that's awesome. Um, but yeah, as I go, I might just, you know, talk about more chapters in this uh, lovely podcast we have going. But that's all I'm going to share in this episode because I'm going to get into a story from history. Today, we are talking about the extraordinary life of Maude Stevens Wagner, who is the first American female tattoo artist. Her story is so interesting. I'm really excited to share it with you guys today. Um, but I do, before I get into it, want to flag that Maude Stevens Wagner certainly did not invent the practice of tattooing women. Native cultures have been tattooing tribe members, women and men, since the 1500s. So she did not invent it. She didn't claim to invent it. But she really did help pave the way for countless women in the 20th century to claim control over their bodies in a time when they really did not have much control over themselves, over their property, over really much of anything. So it really was a moment, you know, having her around. So let's chat a little bit about her story. Maude Stevens was born in Kansas in 1877. There's not much on her personal life, on her young, you know, early life, but she began her adult life as a circus performer. She was working within various traveling circuses and she was on the road a lot. And after some time traveling, you know, years of traveling with the circuses, in the early 1900s, she arrived at the St. Louis World's Fair, performing as an acrobat, aerialist, and contortionist. 
And the World's Fair was essentially an exhibition of sorts for the world's greatest performers and inventors of the time. So people from around the world traveled to St. Louis to see the brightest and wildest new inventions, see the greatest shows on earth with their own eyes. And so this was where Maude met this man named Gus Wagner in 1904. And this was a pretty fateful meeting. From this point on, her life would be forever changed. Gus Wagner was known as the Tattooed Globetrotter. He was a well-known tattoo artist and one of the last tattoo artists to only work by fully by hand using stick and poke. Um, he used only a needle and ink. And I actually have a stick and poke tattoo, which is so interesting. I have the three dots on my right hand index. Is it index? No, my ring finger on my right hand, I guess, like the, the one next to my pinky. And yeah, I have, I've also given a stick and poke tattoo. I gave a surf board to a friend of mine um definitely have no training which was probably not the smartest thing ever but stick and poke is hard it's hard to get precise with it it's also pretty painful honestly I mean I guess all tattoos are painful but it's a pretty crazy method you literally have an, a you know a needle and it's like on a longer stick kind of like a pen looking thing and then you dip it in ink and then you just stab along you know you you of course kind of outline your what you're gonna do and then you go along the outline with your stick and poke and you're just you know dabbing in the ink you're poking it in the skin and going like that in a series of small tiny little dots so some say that Gus actually offered Maude tattoo lessons in return for her going on a date with him. There's some other sources that argue that Maude actually demanded the lessons on her end in return for a date that they had went on. Kind of unclear, but essentially it was like a trade-off with like, you know, we can go on a date if you teach me how to tattoo. Kind of like that. And so Gus actually gave Maude her very first tattoo um, upon meeting her. And soon after that, she started tattooing on her end and became kind of a tattooist in her own right. And just to give a little bit of context about this time period and how women were perceived in the early 1900s and how tattoos were perceived. So tattoos were extremely, I can't stress this enough, taboo. You know, even in men, it was just, you know, very interesting, especially in regards to religion and faith that people had. Um, and it was very hard to find tattooed women in America at this time. Women didn't have much ownership of their own bodies during this time period. They had just gotten some control over their owned physical property and earned wages, literally wages that they earned, those that worked, but like barely in the late, late 1800s, which wasn't even really in full swing in all states until like 1900. I get so heated about this stuff. Out of the nearly 100 sports at the 1904 Olympics, archery was the only one that women were allowed to participate in which is crazy to me, the only one. And this is about also 15 years before women got the right to vote. And even then it was difficult next to impossible for minority groups to vote. So yeah, women didn't really have a lot of rights. And you know, even if they did have rights, there was a lot of taboo things and a lot of uh, stigmas placed around certain things, um, especially tattoos. Like that was definitely a no-no. And I actually found out some really interesting stuff about tattooing um, while I was researching. So tattoos used to be illegal in a lot of places. Um, now, as we know, it's like you can't be under 18 in a lot of places or you need a, a parent present or things like that. And they have put restrictions on it kind of like alcohol. But in 1961, this is kind of just an aside, New York City declared that it was unlawful for any person to tattoo a human being. 
um, and this was just a, a prohibition of the time that remains on the books for nearly four decades until the city finally re-legalized the tattoo trade in 1997. And this is courtesy of Reason.com. The rise and fall of the New York City tattoo ban. Isn't that crazy? Like, tattooing in New York City was illegal for a long time, until 1997, apparently. It was, you know, then lifted. And apparently in New York, they were trying to link a hepatitis B outbreak with tattooing and thinking it was kind of, you know, a link that it was because of tattooing. And essentially people said that, you know, from a public health standpoint, tattooing, the, the tattoo industry of the time was not regular, regulatable, regulatable. That's a really hard word to say. Um, and so it was, you know, banned for a while. And it's crazy because now they make you sign like all this paperwork, like if it gets infected, we're not liable, blah, blah, blah. But I'm assuming there definitely wasn't those sort of things in place back then. So things are definitely different now, but I can't even imagine in other places how it was. So that's just a little aside, something interesting that I figured out while I was researching. But regardless of the taboos of the time and how crazy things were for women and etc., you know, Maude didn't really care. She was actually covered up to her neck in elaborate, really detailed tattoos for the time, which were all created with stick and poke, which is so shocking to me because like I said, I gave a very simple tattoo, like stick and poke surfboard outline tattoo. And it, it literally took it out of me because I thought it was just so, I wanted it to be perfect. And I can't imagine getting such a, you know, precise level of detail with a needle, you know, and you're just your hand, like hands are unreliable. They're shaky and not perfect. So I can't imagine what went into these. Um, definitely Google a photo of Maude, Maude Stevens Wagner. Google that name because she has a lot of photos out there actually of her and her tattoos and they're really crazy. So um, Margot DeMello wrote this book called Inked Tattoos and Body Art Around the World. And she wrote that Maude's tattoos were, quote, typical of the period. She had patriotic tattoos, tattoos of monkeys, butterflies, lions, horses, snakes, trees, women, And she also actually had her own name apparently tattooed on her left arm. So back to our love story of Gus and Maude. They were married soon after their fateful meeting in 1904 and had a daughter named Lovetta or Lateva. I'm seeing conflicting reports online, either Lovetta or Loteva. I'm seeing Lovetta more often. But she also became a tattooist, starting her craft at the age of nine. Nine years old, she started tattooing people. It's freaking crazy. Um, She went on to have a very lengthy career in the tattoo industry. Um, And Maude actually wouldn't let Gus tattoo Lovetta. And apparently she never got a single tattoo at all. She remained a blank canvas for her whole life. She insisted on giving them to other people exclusively. And one source online actually suggests that Lovetta decided that if she couldn't be tattooed by her dad, then she wouldn't let anyone else tattoo her either. She would remain a blank canvas. And so um, this man named Ian Harvey via the Vintage News writes, Maude was the lady responsible for breaking the myths surrounding tattooed women in America. 
although she lived during the Victorian era, that didn't stop her from expressing her passion for tattoos and living her life the way that she wanted. So eventually, Maude and Gus left circus life and they made their own touring tattoo business. They were entrepreneurs doing stick and poke in various places around the country, like fairs and arcades, before eventually settling down in Lawton, Oklahoma. Maude and Gus were credited with spreading the stick and poke craft throughout the country. They really changed the stigma of tattooing and even when fancier machines became widely used across the country they still used their stick and poke method until the very end in those days unsurprisingly the tattoo world was made up entirely of men and so Maude really defied that stereotype and I'm sure she wasn't always met with acceptance and I really really wonder uh, what sorts of stories she would tell us if she was around today like I feel like this definitely could be a a movie I say this every freaking time I research anyone but I really think that her story you know it has so much to it that we don't know and I really wish that I had more learnings and we could turn her story into a movie because she sounds incredible she sounds like a total trailblazer for women and so that is why I'm sharing her story with you guys today so now I want more tattoos (laughs) now I'm like craving more I've heard after you get one you just like want a million and even though I have like such a tiny one I definitely want more so yeah that is my short but sweet little story of Maude Stevens Wagner and me rambling on about what I want to do in my 25th year of life um I really you know I do this to of course be like you know saying things that hopefully will resonate with people but I also make podcast episodes like this because I want to look back when I'm older and see you know what was on my heart back when I was 25 and what I cared about. It's the same reason why I have a journal and I highly recommend that you guys get your hands on some journals and you know get writing down your thoughts because your future self will thank you for that. And speaking of, I actually didn't even anticipate bringing this up, but it's a good segue. I actually, as you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram, um, have created some products. I think I've actually mentioned it briefly in a podcast episode too, but I created some products and they're finally here. They're finally in my hands. Um, It's been months and months and months in the making. I am so picky with everything. It's glassware and it's journals. Um, Well, one journal. We're starting out with three products. I'm just kind of testing the waters to see what you guys are interested in and if it's a total flop because it very well could be. Um, I have no faith in myself. I need to talk to myself like I would anyone else. Come on. Did you not listen to the whole episode, Katie? But yeah, I'm putting out products. They're coming out sometime in November and they're here. Um, If you guys are looking for a journal, I have one of those coming out um, with a special handwritten phrase on it that I really hold near and dear to my heart. You guys know I love this phrase. Um, so it's on the front of every journal that we've made and then also some glassware with some uh, equally great phrases on them. I just shot them with a photographer actually on my birthday. I did a little photo shoot. We shot the products in my room and on the beach and it was just one of those pinch me moments where I was like this. This is why I do what I do. This is what I want to do more of. You know, you feel that that feeling in your stomach and you're like, whoa, this is something something great. And so I definitely want to, you know, make more products in the future. My 25th year, I want to make more things that people can infuse into their daily lives and have in their rooms, in their homes, in their hands. And yeah, that's a goal. So 
yeah, guys, that is it uh, for this podcast episode. I uh, thank you guys all for listening. I'm actually going to get to editing my video that's going up today. I'm like a powerhouse editor this morning. I'm like, you know, putting up the podcast, putting up a video, like putting out a lot of stuff today. Um, I did a whole YouTube video talking more in depth about therapy, which I'm really excited to post. So stay tuned for that as well. And I will talk to you guys all in my next episode. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.